so we get to talk about heaven today. Do you have questions about heaven? I have questions about heaven. Everybody I talk to has questions about heaven. What will heaven look like? Will, how will we know each other in heaven? What age will I look like in heaven? What will our relationship with our spouse be like in heaven? What, I heard that lady say, my husband's not going there. Uh, yeah. what will, that was a joke right there. I, you have to tell people it's a joke. You're really in bad shape at the beginning. What will our bodies be like in heaven? How old will we be in heaven? What will happen to the bodies of those who've been cremated? How will people in heaven be able to enjoy it knowing others are not there? Will there be animals in heaven? Will there be marriage and marital intimacies in heaven? Can people who take their own lives go to heaven? Will we see God in heaven? Will we, what will eating be like in heaven? What will travel be like in heaven? We have questions about heaven. Kids have answers about heaven. I, I read, there was a survey, children were asked, what will we do in heaven? Um, one kid said, will you do whatever you want, silly? One kid said, you eat candy and you don't get cavities in heaven. One kid said, you water skate all day. Somebody said, what is water skating? He said, you'll know when you get there. You, one kid said, in heaven you can stay up all day and all night and your parents can't make you go to bed because there aren't any beds and there aren't any parents in heaven. You, uh, you, you'll... So one kid said, you will help people on earth be smarter. One kid said, you'll play the harp all day, whether you like it or not. <laughs> one kid said, we'll have to paint clouds when we get there. My daughter Heidi went to Mackinac Island one day, and she's kind of buried in the middle. She's a middle kid. So she's sitting in the van on the way home, and she says something. And everybody says, what did you say, Heidi? And she says, I think heaven will be a lot like Mackinac Island, only without any horse poop. So she says, there I said it in the pulpit. A BBC journalist uh, sent an email to an official in the Church of England, and I quote, what would I have to do to ascertain the official church view on heaven and hell? The clergyman replied in one word, die. <laughs> That would work. But there are things in Scripture that we can know about heaven. And it would probably be a really good idea for us to open our Bibles. Because this is a wonderful and a, and, a, and a very, very, very serious thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, most of you are familiar with that passage that says, you know, that eye has not seen, neither has ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of men the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And that's usually where we stop in quoting the passage. like nobody really knows. And that's not probably a, a bad way to think about heaven. It's beyond what we can imagine, beyond our imagination, good and beautiful and unbroken. That's true. But the rest of that passage says, but God has revealed things to us by the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit reveals to John in a vision, a vision of heaven. And John passes this vision on to us, and it's beautifully expressed here at the end of the Bible. So it has been quite a week to, to spend uh, the week in thinking about this beautiful city 
the new Jerusalem. And I am so thrilled to be able to help you to think about what will the new Jerusalem be like. We have an obsession in our culture and in the church to be relevant. And I was reading a biography of C.S. Lewis this week. And, and he was quoted in the biography as saying, to be relevant, we need to, see, we need to regularly say things that are eternal. The only way for us to be relevant is to regularly say things that are eternal. And Mark Hitchcock is a writer on Bible prophecy that I've enjoyed a lot. And before we look at this passage, I'm going to show you five things that he said happen when we talk about heaven. Five things that happen when we talk about heaven. He said, number one, it restores our hope in times of suffering. Paul would say in Romans 8, 18, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed someday. It restores our hope in times of suffering in, to think about heaven and to talk about heaven. Uh, Paul said, it reminds us that this current world is temporary. Paul said in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. From it, we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus. The title of this sermon is, Heaven is Our Heartland. That's what Paul said. Paul said, remember, this current world is temporary. Life is short. So it restores our hope in times of suffering to think about heaven. And it reminds us that our current world is temporary when we think about heaven. And it reassures us that God is on the throne. When we think about heaven, you open your Bible and you read in Revelation 4, 1 through 4. After this I looked, behold, there was a door standing open in heaven. And the first, the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit. Behold, a throne in heaven and one on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow like the appearance of emerald. And the Around the throne were 24 thrones, seated on the thrones, 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Thinking about heaven refocuses our values. Jesus himself would say this in Matthew 6, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy and these cannot break in and steal where your treasure is there will your heart be also thinking about heaven helps us to think about where we ought to be making our investments it refocuses our values hitchcock then said number five it reignites our fervor to serve the lord and he used the, as an example isaiah 6 when isaiah saw the lord he was high and lifted up and he said here i am lord send me send me so Revelation 21, 9 through 21. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. This may have been the same angel that introduced the other woman. You know, the other woman. Chapter 17, she was introduced in chapter 17 and she wasn't a bride. It's then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, the judgment, 
came and said, come, I will show you. This is 17.1. I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who's seated on many waters. And, and then she's described there. But now, in this chapter, the probably perhaps the same angel, one of the angels that poured out a bowl of judgment has now come to introduce us to the bride. And shockingly, that's us. Can you imagine that? That's us. We look around at our loved ones and we look within and we think there's a little brokenness, there's a little ugliness, there's a little not quite yet what you ought to be quite yet there. But when we have our glorified bodies and when we're a part of the glorified, imagine, bride of Christ, we'll, we'll imagine you and I will, will be a thing of beauty because God will make it so. And so John meets an angel. And who is this angel? It's one of the seven who had the seven bowls of judgment now pouring out blessing. I will show you the wife, the bride of the Lamb. And then verse 10, John's carried away by the Spirit to a great high mountain, provision of the holy city coming down from God. Think of, think of this literally is that there will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth that we're introduced to. And now this new Jerusalem, this huge, gl glistening, beautiful city will come down out of heaven from God and hover over our rest upon the earth. And they, we're gonna, we get to describe that city today. I want to tell you five wonderful things about that city. It's light and glory, verses 9 through 11. It's walls and gates, verses 12 and 13. It's foundation, which is amazing. In verse 14, it's size, which is shocking. In verses 15 through 17, it's construction in verses 18 through 21. And we'll stop there because I don't have all day to work with, but I'm going to take all month. And so if you're one of our regulars, you can come back every week. And if you're from out of town, you can join us online sometime through the week if you're interested. We're going to be talking all month long about this place where our loved ones who knew the Lord are going to go where, and they're with the Lord and will we'll, we'll one day be with the Lord. And so let's go into this. Revelation tells us that heaven is really a place. It's, it, it, and, it, and the new heaven comes down onto a new earth and students of the Bible have some, do some, have some conversation and some uh, study about whether the, the new earth will be congruent with the old earth. In other words, will the new earth be recognizable like this earth? And then will we be able to go to places that we recognize on this earth? And I'm in the group that says, yes, I think so. And the reason I, I mentioned it last week, we can go back and listen to that if you want to, but just to repeat that again, if we have a glorified body, and I'm going to recognize Jerry Glazer in heaven. I just did that because... Jerry looked away for a second, so I just captured his attention there. No, Jerry's paying attention. I'm going to recognize Jerry. I'm going to go, that's Jerry. It's a young, striking. He's not, he's not recovering from hip surgery. He's, just, he's, he's lean and strong and healthy and handsome and well. But that's, that is absolutely Jerry Glazer. It'll be recognizable. And if, in a, Jesus in his glorified body ate food with his disciples and, uh, and, he, and touched them. And uh, that's him. And so uh, there's, a, there's a congruity between the body and the glorified body, right? And so 
interrupt, I'm just, I'm repeating myself because I like this. So if you don't mind, you heard this last week a little bit, but in Romans chapter eight, it's very clear that the created order follows the resurrection of the body and the, and the new creation, like the new body. And so I believe that what we have here is this amazing city resting on the earth. And then the earth probably, as we know it, only completely without sin and completely without the curse and completely without the fall in beauty. And you do have rivers and you do have, we'll get to that next week and the week after, you do have trees, thanks be unto God. And you have rivers and blossoms and beautiful fragrant things. And so here you have, let's, let's go through these five things. It's light, it's walls and gates, it's foundations, it's size, and it's construction. First of all, in verses 9 through 11, John, in passing on this vision that he has of heaven, talks about glory and about lights. And, and this is, and just to read it again, I saw the new heaven, and I'm sorry, verse 9 is where I need to be. Then came one of the seven angels with the seven bowls of the seven... Uh, last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb, carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. What color is jasper then, according to this jasper in the Bible, what color is it? Anybody paying attention today? Says it right there. Clear as crystal. Kind of like a diamond. Ladies, you, you might have a little reminder of heaven on your left uh, hand. It's a little tiny. My wife is especially tiny. Bless her heart. She deserves a big, huge, big, huge. She has a little, you have to look really close at my wife. And I actually paid payments on that. But every lady has, many, many ladies, have a, a, an example, a preview of heaven on their hand, like a, like a diamond. You, you heard the story of the Klopman diamond. Certainly, you're well-read people. Man was on the plane one day, and he saw a lady with a beautiful diamond. And he had to mention, he's like, my goodness. He said, that's a huge, beautiful diamond. She said, yes, it is, but it comes with a Klopman curse. He said, really, what's the Klopman curse? She said, Mr. Klopman. <laughs> well, this, di <laughs> this diamond is a celestial diamond. It's a God-created diamond. It's the size of a massive city, like a small continent, and it's got no curse associated with it at all. Somehow, God... It's trying to say to us, it's a city that's glowing with the light of God. Beautiful, glorious city, glowing with the light of God. Now let's talk about its walls and its gates, verses 12 and 13. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, imagine this. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel, they were inscribed and on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates, these gates, they're, they're high walls, 12 gates, three on the side, on the gates are the names of the sons of Jacob. The tribes of Israel. Have you read about these rogues? Have you read about these men? Have you read the book of Genesis? Who's your mama? Genesis? Have you read that? 
Did you ever read that? It's like, and then there was this guy, Jacob, and he married this young, beautiful girl, and they had 12 perfect sons that behaved perfectly. And then they were made the children, the, they, they each had a tribe because they were so sweet and perfect. And they never broke anything. And they never did anything bad. Have you read the Bible? It's kind of like you read it and you go, they, were, they should have rated this. Parts of this are like, make me blush. These boys, I, I'm going to meet them someday, so I do want to be kind of careful what I say. But... But they were, they were not there because they passed the spelling bee. They were not there because, you know, they, they were great athletes. They were there because of the grace of God. If you don't get that, you just don't get it. They were, they were there because of the grace of God. And it amazes me to think that in heaven, inscribed, as the scriptures say, on the gates of the eternal city of God are the names of these men as an eternal testimony that God pours out his grace on the least of us. Praise be unto God. That's the hallelujah part right there. This has hallelujah parts all the way through it. These are the sons of Jacob. Each gate is guarded by a powerful, mighty angel. You imagine Going in the gate, hello, sir, how are you this morning? That's my angel. I talk with him when I go through this gate. And then on the way out, the angel's, where are you going today, Ken? I don't know. I'm just, just going to go out exploring today. I'll be back. I'll be here. The, the doorman at the gate is an angel, a powerful, mighty angel. These are angels that can pour out judgment when it's time to do so. These are, these are angels that can harp, herald out God's truth when there are angels that can bless. There, at every gate, there's an angel. It's amazing. It'll be a place completely and eternally safe and secure. No thieves, no murderers, no sexual predators there. More on the gates later. Let's look at verse 14. It's foundations. The 12 foundations are named for the 12 apostles. Isn't this beautiful how this is done? You have the sons of Israel, the children of Israel. Then you have, uh, you're tying the church and Israel together. You know, I, I, I don't think the church replaces Israel. In, in, I don't believe that. I believe that God deals with Israel separately. And, you know, certainly he, he puts us all together in this, in this believing group. But even in heaven, there will be this, they're together, but they're, they're distinct. Verse, verse 14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations. On them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The foundations. And then it's size, verses 15 through 17. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold, of course, to measure the city and its gates and walls. And the city lies four square. It's length the same as its width. And he measured the city with a rod. This is the, the size. It's 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. So I, I take this to mean men and angels would measure this the same. Size is the same no matter whether you're a man or an angel. This is how, how big is your thick, thick walls, 200 feet thick. And, and you have a city four square. You have a 1,400-mile cube city. Think about it like this. Your first, your first hearers, the original readers of this are thinking Jerusalem, New Jerusalem. Jerusalem that fell and, uh, and, and a huge bit of our culture was just 
devastated at the fall of Jerusalem. And the old city, we've been there, is about one and a half miles square. The old city of Jerusalem is about one and a half miles square. And it was the glory of God's people. And it fell. It fell in a horrifying, blasphemous way. In the, in, the, in, the, in the memory, in the collective memory of these people, God says, wait a minute. We don't want that picture to be the last picture in the mind of my people. What I want to have them, a picture in their mind is the new Jerusalem. And it's not one and a half miles square. It's 1,500 miles wide. 1,500 miles high. This is no city in the world that ever been a city like this. this would, if you'd start here to go to Miami... And then you would go to Colorado, and then you would go to Utah, or go from Utah, and then farther west to Utah, and you would go north to Montana, and you would come back here. That would be the size of the city. You could move that around wherever your imagination you wanted to. Maybe it's going to rest on the top of the world or hover over the earth. It's a huge, huge city. And its dimensions, as high as it it is wide, it's it's obviously impossible to imagine or adequately describe but in a poetic kind of a way, John says, this, it's massive, it's huge, it's powerful, this beautiful city of light. Then it's construction. Is it, is it well built? What, did, what material, you notice that building materials, have you noticed this? Have you been doing a project and noticed that the cost of building materials is going up? You've heard this. Cost of building materials, so can you imagine you're, you're helping on this? You go, what are we going to use today? Well, jasper over there and gold over here. Not that cheap gold. We want the kind you can see through. And jasper, i.e., well, we want the glory of God to shine through us. So just make it like a huge diamond. That's what it's going to be like. What in the world? Um, so you, you have, this is uh, verses... Uh, verses 18 through 21. Let's read it again, just so that Christie doesn't have to be the only person that pronounced all those hard words. They are beautiful. They roll right off the tongue. The foundations of the wall, the city, were adorned with every kind of jewel. Imagine the color now. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the, fir- the fourth emerald. The- imagine the, the the greens and the reds and the blues and the purples of this and, this and this refracting light, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth barrel, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the, the eleventh jacinth, the, the twelfth amethyst. That's like a purple. Can you imagine? The, and, and then and this is only the, the colors and the stones that the city is built out of expressed in this way. And we don't know how will our ability to see be better than it is now? Probably so. What what, what will the music be like? What will the visuals be like? What will the colors be like? And the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made with a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Are we even supposed to be able to understand that? Or is it just supposed to ravage our hearts? So its construction is mostly gold and jasper, gold and diamond. Diamond and gold that conducts a great light. This is parallel to Ezekiel 38, 13 and 14. Ties the original garden to this ultimate garden. This is what's 
happening in the great meta-narrative of the scripture, the, the big story of the Bible. It starts in a garden, and then it goes kind of, Leo, you said it this way in a funeral you were doing one time, and I've always remembered it. Then it all went sideways. You said that. I don't know. I thought, that's wow. Yeah, and upside down, and it just all went sideways. And then, and then God says, watch what I do. I want to put this thing back together, and you will believe it when you see it, and you'll be able to enjoy it forever. And so he then makes the whole earth a garden of God's glory. And, and there's, there's no temple. We're getting ahead of ourselves because God is there, and the whole thing is the place of worship. The whole thing is a temple. The whole cosmos, the ultimate universe is a great temple. It's a time of unbroken uh, worship. Each and I think about this, and what you, when you think of gate, and verse 21 talks about the gate, each of the gates. When you think of a gate, what do you think of? I, I have, in my mind, the gates in my childhood were all on my grandfather's farm. And I didn't realize until I got a lot older that my grandfather's farm was a very, very humble hobby farm. He was a factory laborer, and he was a pastor, and he had this little 110-acre farm where he raised uh, white-faced Hereford beef cattle, and it was extremely humble. And the gates on the farm, he made them himself. When we'd go up in the West Pasture, he would have me get off the tractor and go open the gate. It would be, you'd take the twine off, and it was strands of barbed wire that were hooked to posts of locust or hickory, usually locust. And you would take off the barbed wire, and you would lay the gate down. One place on the farm, he'd gone to farm and fleet or something, and he'd actually bought an actual manufactured gate that swung on pins, one place. But the rest of the gates, so when I was a kid, we had a song, he the pearly gates will open so that I may enter in. And I would think of a little gate that had a bunch of little pearls on it, and you would open it up, and like, well, this is a lot fancier. Maybe like in my mind, I had a garden gate that you just like, oh, I see you you open that gate, and it's all pearly. How nice is that? And then you walk through the pearly gate. That's not what the Bible says. You got to think huge city, huge walls, 200 feet thick entrance that you could drive a truck through or trucks through, and a huge, you know, arc of a gate or, or opening of some kind. And the Bible says that every gate is carved out of one pearl, I know what you're thinking. That's a big oyster. It's like, I'm not sure that's how the pearl's going to be produced, but that's what the Bible says. In order to capture our imaginations, in order to ravage our hearts, in order to stir us up to see the beauty of heaven, he says, in these gates where these angels stand that have these names engraved on them, every one of those 12 amazing gates is carved from a single pearl. Now, what is this all about? What is this angel trying to say to John? What is John and the Holy Spirit, what are John and the Holy Spirit trying to tell us here at Bethel Church this morning when, when the average person who's getting a little age on them opens up their Bible and reads when you've lost a loved one and you open up your Bible and say, well, what's it like now, going to be like? When you're a little tired of the brokenness in this world and you're a little sick and tired of the evening news, and you open the Bible, what did the Holy Spirit want you to think? He wanted you to know that there was a place that is secure. He wanted you to know that your ultimate place would be satisfying. 
He wanted you to know that the ultimate place would be happy. He wanted you to know that the ultimate place would be holy, beautiful, glorious in the presence of God. There'd be no brokenness there. There'd be no misunderstandings there. There'd be no rivals to the glory of God there. Regardless of how you understand this or if you understand this, it matters not. Billy Collins, the poet, you know, he said, to get the meaning of a beautiful piece of poetry, you don't tie it to a chair and beat it with a hose until it confesses its meaning. And this is true with this beautiful bit of literature here. It's beautiful. It's meant to be evocative. It's supposed to stir your heart and make you realize, oh God, is it true that there's going to be a place someday where there's no more sin, no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more insecurity, no more lack of fulfillment, no more wondering what the face of Jesus Christ looks like. And so we should train our hearts to long for this city. When we traveled to the Holy Land, there was a couple with us they lived in West Michigan. We said, where do you live? They said, Grand Haven. Oh, Grand Haven. That's one of Michigan's wonderful cities, Grand Haven. I said, you live in Grand Haven. We visit Grand Haven on occasion. Take the boardwalk out to the lighthouse, watch the sunset, feel the breeze blow over the point. They said, yeah, we lived in Grand Rapids and we were school teachers and we saved our money and we decided we wanted to live in Grand Haven and so... We went and we bought a house in Grand Haven. And so now in the evening, we get our bikes out. We ride down to the lake and we watch the sunset any night we want to. Grand Haven was on their heart. They decided that they'd just move there. Well, if we were to take the best writer in the house and have them describe Grand Haven at its best, it wouldn't come anywhere near what we've read today about our ultimate destiny. Heaven ought to be our heartland, folks. Heaven ought to be our, we should train our hearts. Think about this. If all this is true, and it is, it's God's word. It's how he ends his word. There's some questions that should be ringing in your heart right now. Like number one, will you be there? Will you be there? Do you know that you know that you are a child of God? If I were you, and if I were not sure about that, I would not leave this building until I knew I was going to be there. There are dozens of people in this room right now that would absolutely burst into tears if they had the privilege of explaining to you how to get there. Tears of joy. When I was a boy, I was a Boy Scout. Not a very good one, but one of the things they said is a Boy Scout knows how to give directions. You don't just, you know, if you're a good Boy Scout, it's probably true with Girl Scouts too, but I have no experience with that. Um, they said, if somebody asks you directions, you don't give them generalities. You tell them exactly, you go this far and you go west or you go east. I told my son Daniel once when he was young, and he said, you know, you kind of go this way and then you go that a little bit. And then where that old place was, you go, I go, Dan, you don't do that. A man knows how to give directions, Dan. Well, he turned out, turns out after college, he went down southwest and he, he worked in oil and he, he was out in the wilderness all the time. And he, and he called me and said, Dad, every day I remember you telling me a man has to learn how to give directions. Because I do that all the time. 
My friend, listen, this city, what if you knew all about it, but you couldn't find where it was? Wouldn't you like to, hey, is there anybody here that can tell me the way to heaven? I would love to have directions. Think about it, folks. What are you doing with your life? One of the things that you ought to be doing with your life is learning how to give beautiful and precise directions to people about how to get to heaven. It's just that simple. My dad taught me when I was a boy, Ken, when you look at somebody, think of them. This is the first thing you should always think of them. Are they going to end up in heaven or are they going to end up in hell? That's what you should think whenever you see somebody. And then you should think of some creative way to give them directions to heaven. This city is real, beautiful, eternal. Will you be there? Will those you love be there? Are you inviting others? Do you know how to give directions? Do you have a gravitational pull toward this city in your soul? More importantly, and probably primarily, when you, when you think about what was God's intent for this passage for the readers and for us, the primary intent was probably to comfort us when we're threatened because that was the original audience was, had this sense of a threat, of Domitian's evil dominance and abuse of, the, of God's people. He wants you to be comforted. I don't know what you're going through, but you know, being, trying to be a faithful pastor, you want to think about what people are going through what they're suffering, what they're concerned about. We have people in our church today, they have like a granddaughter that had open heart surgery. And it's kind of like right now, I don't think, it's still kind of an open-ended thing how she's going to do. I know that we have folks here who just said goodbye to their loved ones. I know that for many of us, you just think, you know, all, all the things that you planned and you hoped were good, but you always realize they're not really ultimately fulfilling. That vacation, when you get done with it, yeah, well, that was nice, but that was nice. I was at King's Island one day, and you know, you, you know, common man going, King's Island, it's like Cedar Point for poor people in Ohio. Um, it, it, we were at King's Island, and and, and, you know, you're spending a ton of money on stuff. Everything is like super overpriced. And if you're just a common guy like me, you just like spending all your money and, and we were at that food court. Remember this? And the kids were there. We were all at Kings Island at the food court. And um, they, it was just jammed with people. And right next to us was a, a dad trying to make a happy experience for his kids. And he bought his daughter a pop. It was like, you know, $7.50. I'm not kidding. It's like going to a hockey game. Welcome to the hockey game. Do you have $10? I gave them $10 at a hockey game, and they didn't give me any change. I'm like, what? What? And the girl spilled her pop. And then he just kind of flew into a rage because he spent so much on the pop. And I was just sitting there going, don't do that. She's going to remember this. You ever notice that Almost everything that you ever tried to do in the world doesn't live up ultimately to its press. It's to its promises. When we go to this city, it's going to be the other way around. This is the ultimate place where we'll be in the presence of our loved ones. And we'll, we'll talk more about that and about God. What a comfort. 
What a comfort is heaven, your heartland. Randy Alcorn wrote a really good book on heaven. I told you that. And you really should read it. You should take the time to buy it, read it, Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. He said he was sitting in his study one day, and a, and a pastor friend asked if he could come and visit him. And so the pastor came and sat across from him at his desk. And he said, can I, can I talk to you about something? I heard you writing a book about heaven. He said, well, sure, what is it? The pastor began to weep, and he reached into his pocket, and he got out a beautiful stone, and he laid the stone on the desk, and he said, my oldest son, the apple of my eye, died when he was just a teen. I found this beautiful stone, and it reminded me of heaven. I want to give it to you. He said, I carry my pocket to remember what a beautiful place my son is it's with the Lord. He said, I'm going to leave this stone with you while you write your book on heaven so that you will never forget what a, what a beautiful place it is. It's a comfort to us. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're hurting, what, what it is that hurts you, that keeps you awake at night, that makes you feel sad, makes you feel worried, tempts you to sin. But I will say, if you open up your Bible and you go with, in the spirit with John to a high mountain and you see the holy city, it'll help you. We want you to go on your way with a blessing today. Neil Veit is the chairman of our elders. He's going to come, and he's going to speak a blessing over you. I'd like to ask you to stand. We're going to have a couple that come. These two couples will come. They're pra- we call them prayer partners. They'll be coming and standing here during this uh, prayer so that if you want somebody to explain to you how to get to heaven or if you need somebody to pray for you, you have a burden on your heart, you can come forward, and they'll pray with you. But right now, we want a blessing spoken over you. Brother Neil.